Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Ian Wilson, who's the founder and president of McCreary Technology, who specialises in the design, manufacture and supply of high-performance wheel-line systems to optimise the front end of hard rock mining process plant um, equipment, serving uh, a global customer base. Uh, Ian is a mining and business professional who's worked for the, some of the largest multinational mining companies um, in the world and has a background in maintenance, engineering, operations, business development and executive management. Founding the company, Ian was going to tell us a little bit more about how, how they help mining companies achieve maximum output, output using their equipment, technology and processes. So that's welcoming into the podcast. How are you doing, Ian? Well, excellent. Thanks, Rob. Uh, wow, well, I've got a big agenda there. I hope I'm up to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you will be. Sure, you will be. And obviously, as we were speaking off air, there's certainly a, certainly a lot to talk about. So, um, I wondered if you can give our audience um, a little bit of background about yourself. Obviously, I mentioned that you've worked in sure. obviously for some of the big mining companies and obviously worked in a few different variety of different roles. So I just wondered if you can um, give us an, uh, an overview of your background and your career uh, before we start talking about well, McCurry technology. Certainly, yes, I did. I had the pleasure of working for many multinational mining companies in Australia, Papua New Guinea, and in Indonesia, and uh, there, you know, I had a, a, I went on some fairly steep learning curves as a result of that. One of the challenges I found when I left Australia and worked in developing countries is that um, is to keep the sustainability of what we were doing. Uh, you know, expat turnover is the big problem. You know, expats stay for two, three years at the most, come in with their own views, their own preferred suppliers, their own ways of doing things. And the locals sort of, okay, he's the next expat and he's got his way of doing it. And, you know, they sort of just hum along with it and know that when that guy leaves and he could leave tomorrow or whenever um, and what's going to come next. And uh, there's, so it develops a lot of issues, even you know, a lot of complacency even. So, you know, I, I, I saw that. Um, so that meant the sustainability of the of the operation was really difficult. The, um, in turn, when I then came back and worked in Australia, I found that there are other challenges to do with uh, how mine sites were operated, uh, moving to contract uh, employees, moving to driverless trucks, uh, reduction in carbon footprints, more health and safety challenges, and uh, moving to zero manual handling if possible, the all that is extremely difficult to 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 manage at a mine site level, at a corporate level, as a supplier. So I looked for a niche part of that that I felt I could do and do well. And 
Um, I didn't start off quite in a niche way. I tried to do all things for all people, but uh, I quickly learned that that wasn't the way to go. And so we 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 honed ourselves down, we focused down, and we came up, um, and we still are with better solutions for a small part of the plant, pretty much. Okay. So I just wonder if you can give us an overview of uh, Macquarie Technology. Um, obviously, you started the business. So I just want to give us a little bit of background and, sure, and history sure, of the company. Sure, Well, I guess the, the first thing people ask about is the name. It's actually a, uh, a, Jap a Japanese term for a type of steel that's used in the making of samurai swords. And, uh, you know, there's you know, this typical combination of soft and hard steels that are folded together and they create all sorts of patterns in the steel. But And there's many terminologies for that. Damascus steel is another one. Uh, and there's many different types of ways the Japanese make samurai swords as well. But I was looking for a, a unique name that it was easy to spell, relatively easy to say, it was memorable and captured, more importantly, captured that technology and because actually in mining and in wear products, you've got it, you typically have or need to have a combination of hard and soft. You know, all hard doesn't work and all soft doesn't work. So, and depending where you are in the plant, there's varying relationships in that. So I thought the term fitted pretty well. And so we came up with it and, and ran with it. And it's, uh, you know, that, that brand's been around about seven years now. So, uh, you know, overall the business has been in one shape or form or the other now. It's in its fifteenth year, but um, the, the Mercury branding is uh, is the most recent. The you know the evolution of what we did. You know, I started in the GFC in the global financial crisis. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to go back. I was working in Indonesia. I had an opportunity to go back and work on a very large project in Australia, and I actually did for twelve months. Uh, flying in and out of Indonesia to Australia, it was bizarre as that sounds. The, um, but I, I, I felt that I had much more that I could offer, and there. So I took. I said I need to take the chance to go into business now and see if I can convert all these ideas and things I can do to improve things. And I've got to give it a shot now, or it's sort of going to be too late. So I did. Crazy timing, um, but it actually turned out to be good because uh, people will serve the, the big providers, pulled their services back. I was sort of left standing there, so I got plenty of opportunities and we just took off. But um, what became readily apparent was that the I was a commission agent for a certain suppliers and then I became an agent for some of them. But there was always gaps in the market and, and there were gaps that they didn't want to fill because they were too hard to fill. So that became us. That became who we were or who we, who we are, I should say, uh, of taking on what the others won't or can't do and doing it extremely well. So you only focus on the, the, the process plant front end. So I just wonder if you can uh, just go into more detail around that. Well, yeah, as I said, we started off trying to do mining equipment and, uh, and and capital equipment, you know, supplying crushes. Look, there's plenty of capital equipment suppliers out there and there's plenty of companies in the mining equipment space and aftermarket space. Um, but there's not too many that actually specialise in that 
what I call the forgotten front end of the process plant. And, uh, you know, typically you go into a process plant, the people that even work inside the plant uh, start thinking of the, their brain turns on at the mill, you know, at the sag mill, and it works backwards from there. And uh, you sort, I sort of get that. You, you understand that because it's, that's the money-making machines. Um, so there's not a lot of effort understanding put into optimising that front end. It's just sort of considered a, a necessary evil, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, we see an opportunity to really make it hum and sing and perform and add significant value to the operation, far greater than what most people can uh, can imagine that's there to be had. So what are the key components of your technology? Well, we we started off knowing that there were better materials, you know, more expensive materials that the OEMs weren't using because they typically, with their high cost structures, can't afford to be searching for those better, you know, or utilising them. But we can because we have low overheads and um, so we can probably sell a better quality liner at the same or less price than an OEM. Uh, you know, we're paying more for it and selling it cheaper. Um, but that's the competitive advantage that we bring. Uh, you know, changing the design of it, particularly in crushes with the cavity profiles, is very, very important. And when I say that, these materials and designs are adjusted for every mine site with its particular operational uh, requirements with ore types, throughput rates, uh, liner, uh, uh, planned shutdown intervals and so forth. So it's not you. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. You, you make custom products for each mine site. And even then, it's not a fixed thing. As ore types change, as the, as the plant gets upgraded, for example, there's different demands on the equipment. So we are there to keep working through that and continue that op optimization of the front end of the plant to deliver what it needs to deliver um, to make everything else work properly. And can you give us an example of this optimization and integration uh, that you that you do for mining companies? Um, yeah, that's a that's that's a, that's a good question. Look. We started off doing it with gyratory crushes, jaw crushes and cone crushes and didn't think too much about what was even outside of those. Uh, you know, we became very, very good at that. Um, but then we realised there was this big hidden problem and it's called the reclaimed stockpile and the reclaimed feeders and the reclaimed feeder shoots. And no one knows they're there. They walk past and they see a stockpile they don't even recognise that there's a, a tunnel under there and there's equipment under there. But often that equipment becomes the critical path on a shutdown and um, and it's not well managed, it's not well monitored because you can't monitor it. Um, so we saw a whole bunch of issues around that. One, initially just to increase the life of the lining systems and then it was, well, then, hang on, the downtime to change these things is horrendous in some cases. So then we came up with single-sided bolting to deal with that, and that significantly reduces the uh, downtime and reduces the manpower required to do that. 
But then as you do that, and you also increase the life of the lioness, then the next question is, well, how long are they going to last and when is the next safe planned shutdown? So then you've got to develop a wear monitoring system to go with that. So one thing leads to another, leads to another. And then once you optimise that, um, you, you're really starting to work on um, getting the front end. So let me, I've, I've ne neglected to mention what happens in that front end of the plant. So what, what we're trying to do, you need to deliver tonnes, but you also need to deliver product size. And you need to always have a full stockpile um, or get it re re refilled as quick as possible because the, all of that affects mill throughput and significantly affects mill throughput to the tune of tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year in typical gold copper mines, right? So um, that's the opportunity I'm talking about. That's the opportunity that's missed. Um, so we are doing everything we can to extract, wring out, you know, squeeze out all that value in that whole front end. And it's a combination of, and it's a conflicting combination, more tonnes, if you try to deliver a smaller product size, well, the crushers don't deliver the tons. So how do you do that? So then how do you keep the stockpile full? So we we have solutions for all of that. How has Macquarie Technology managed to stay at the forefront of innovation in where uh, linear systems for hard rock, hard rock processing operations? Well, First of all, we're a small we're a small company, and there is a benefit in that. Look, we are very quick to respond. We're very quick to understand a situation. We it's very easy for us to focus on it. In fact, I get questioned by people in the industry every time they see another merger and acquisition by the big guys who just seem hell-bent on getting bigger and bigger. And when I say the big guys, I'm talking about the OEMs. You know, there's only there's only three of them and one of them's huge and one of them's big and the other ones, I don't know what happened to them. But the, um, the, the thing is that their strength is in how big they are and they believe that delivers a degree of safety uh, to the mining company buying new plant. And, you know, there's an old saying that, no one ever got fired for buying product from the OEM. But are you getting the right equipment? Is it even anywhere close to being all matched and optimised before you start? And are they able to do anything after it starts to continue an optimization process? Well, they might even suggest they can or claim they can, guarantee they can, but in reality, they can't. So that's where we step in and say, well, we do that. That's what we do. And we do it very well and we give examples of that. So that holistic approach, um, which falls into, you know, a general category of called mind-to-mill optimization. And mind-to-mill optimization is done to greater or lesser degree, or well, you know, poorly or or or, or, um, or, or to a greater extent. Uh, it's extremely difficult. And so we help bridge that, you know, that all the trucking up to get material to the crusher to keep the, the, the stockpile full, to keep the product there, and then keeping it at the right size and keeping the everything happening. Um, 
we end up being a critical part of that optimization process. There's plenty of people downstream from the milling that really are expert at what they do. So there's no, there's few opportunities for us there. You know, the, the mining operations have people that can help them optimize their mining operations. And particularly when they look at the ore types and segregating ore types and understanding the blending of those and, and how to mine them and process them. Um, so we're right in the middle when that ore hits the, you know, the, the, the grizzly or the primary crusher to when it goes into that sagmill feed chute. Uh, we we handle the grizzly to the sagmill feed chute and make sure all of that is working and nobody else does but us. And how does uh, Macquarie Technology ensure that is where Linear Solutions are optimised to address the obviously unique challenges uh, faced well, with obviously individual processing operations? That, that's That's a good question too. Look... You've got to keep revisiting it. You've got to keep looking at data. You know, there's things that we do. Um, if I think in my lifetime what I've seen, the changes how we've transitioned from uh, using tape measures and, and eyeballing things to uh, now, you know, laser scanning and, and now this online wear monitoring and a thing, an online data like Aussie Soft Buy data, uh, which we take you know, hundreds of thousands of data points and 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 put dump them into a spreadsheet and analyze how the equipment's operating. And we typically are the ones that are doing that as well. So we can look at what we're doing. We can see the changes. We can map the changes. We where we where we still struggle, to be completely honest, is we try to encourage the mining companies to develop new KPIs. KPIs that measure what we're doing in the terms of has your wear materials per tonne of throughput dropped? What's the cost of your wear materials per tonne of throughput? Uh, that also measures carbon footprint. It's, it's you know, some simple KPIs that are really could, could be do very well for the business to understand their improvements from a business improvement point of view, but also to tell the world that we're reducing our carbon footprint by using consuming less steel per tonne of production, right? So, um, but we, are, you know, we haven't got them to do it. Um, we we talk about it. We publish it on our website. Uh, we put it in proposals to people, but, you know, what it ends up becoming still, unfortunately, is pretty much a... Um, you know, they want the performance, they don't really care too much after that. So, you know, um, maybe you can help us. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, obviously, what you've been speaking about is obviously companies in, in production. Do you ever come in to work with companies prior to them going in, in construction, commissioning, prior to uh, production, or is it always once uh, um, a mine site up, is up and running and this throughput going through the process plant? Rob, we would love to work with uh, front-end engineering design, you know, procurement companies prior to the construction to introduce far better technology from day one. But look, you know, it's a bidding war. It's a game where they put a quote in, they're always going to put the cheapest designs. They're going to copy and paste designs from the past. They're 
they want to keep it down so they win the business. And unfortunately, in the industry, there's a saying, and, you know, I worked in the industry long enough to to cringe every time I heard it, but uh, it is we'll fix the problems after after we've got some cash flowing. And, hey, I get it, you know, uh, for very, you know, mining's a risky business. Typically now it's all done in, in very challenging and in, in developing country uh, and remote locations. Um, uh, yeah, there's sovereign risk. There's, you know, there's all sorts of risks there. So yes, get the gets getting the permit to even build the place now is 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 a huge hurdle. So get the permit, get the place built, get it operating, get the cash flowing. And then we'll worry about all that other stuff later. And and that's when they give us a call. Okay, you guys, we're ready for you now, right? So, um, but maybe that'll change. You know, I'm, I'm not sure I'll be around to see it, but it'd be lovely to work with a company up front. It really would, but we haven't done it yet. So that's one of my, have to put on my bucket list. Of, yeah. Um, so what, what kind of person would be forward thinking like you just explained where they understand that your technology may come in at a later date. However, why don't we pre-plan that and bring you in earlier? Um, I'd, I'd like to think that where the industry is going with this reduction in manpower, reduction in manual handling, remote operation, that at some point, there'll be a recognition that that's actually so critical to get that in place during the build phase and the commissioning phase, rather than trying to fix it all later. Because to fix it all later takes people. It takes people to come in there, people to analyse it all, people to poke their head in stuff. You know, that, that so that's what they're trying to avoid. So I think it will happen. I think your question's a very, very good one. And I... I I can say it probably won't happen in those developing countries because, you know, we see, we see the dichotomy, the huge dichotomy between the, you know, the developed and the developing and country environments. And I'm not talking about artisanal miners, you know, digging, working in, in, in the depths of the, you know, in, uh, with bare feet. I'm talking about still established multinational mining companies, but the challenges of dealing in, 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 in those countries and, and the risk, sovereign risk that go with them um, versus what's happening in developed countries where the legislation is getting more difficult, you know, the, the pressures on them are far greater. So I would think that the big companies will address that and it probably, and it may not be that long before they do. So um, with the help of guys like you and doing podcasts like this, you know, the, every every flag we can wave to alert them that there is a different way to do it. Um, I mean, I think that there's a huge challenge on us. The challenge on us is to get with the engineering companies, get with the consultants, uh, you know, and I met with some consultants in Singapore very recently, and we had a similar discussion about, and I'm looking around now for anyway, I can't, you know, the, we had a great discussion around this mind-to-mill optimization challenge. And uh, they go in and audit it, but, you know, and I said to them something similar to this, and there's, you know, we really need to get it done in the build phase. Um, uh, so I think the more people I talk to, the more I spread the message and say we can do things differently. It doesn't have to be like this. So 
there's another term about the mining industry that, you know, it's a very agricultural industry. Um, A lot of the technology actually hasn't changed that much. You know, it's, it's now split between rapid technology development in some areas and some other considerations that simply haven't changed. So that front end of the plant falls into that. It's always, you know, there's no point or they don't get it or they don't understand what's available. Um, They don't realise there's a different way to do it. So that's that's the space you're in. That's the challenge we've got. And um, what I'm hoping is we've got some wonderful technology that's going to come on stream later this year and at the very latest early next year, but I'm very confident it'll come on later this year. That will be a great opportunity for us to alert the industry to the different way to do business. And maybe that'll be the start of this, of this, uh, the impetus to get people to think differently. So we have, we have to, We'll have to see if I'm up to that challenge, all right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I guess I guess it would be more expensive for you to come in in an existing operation where... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And obviously there could be downtime with some, obviously, the, the work that would be involved in the plant. So there's going to be downtime, lost production, for instance. Well, um, Rob... So I guess that Rob, could be an incentive. Rob, unfortunately... They call us when there's a problem. So when they've had a catastrophic production loss, perhaps even some injuries, um, but normally it's a production loss, right? So then it's like, well, we can't tolerate this any longer. What are the options to it? And then they, the, the decision-making chain starts with, you know, who can help us? And they realise pretty much the OEMs are useless. So then it becomes who's there, who's out there? Right, and we and we typically don't advertise. We we're all word of mouth. Someone says, "Oh, these guys can do that, and these guys can do this." Okay, they give us a call, and it's all a panic and it's urgent. So we run in, and we try to fix things. Right. So, but yeah, the 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 cost that they take. Look, one particular very large copper mining company we were working with some years ago. Um, gave us a call because, and in fact, it was actually in their annual reports from the previous year, they'd taken such a production loss that it became, you couldn't cover it up, you know, and a lot of these don't get mentioned that much, but this one was so huge, it affected their, their, their forecast of their copper production. And so they said, what's the solution to this? And they gave us a call and we, we gave them a solution to it. But, um, so that's still where the industry's at, and um, and you you it, it may not come as a surprise to some people inside the industry, but some of the standard of the engineering and design that we come across is so poor um, that it would have been so easy to fix up front. It would have just been so much easier, simpler, cheaper, faster, but they didn't either through price or through lack of understanding. I'm never quite sure when we see some of these things. We often sit down and do a bit of internal 
you know, ruminating on this, navel-gazing and going, how the hell did they do that? Why did they do that? This is ridiculous, you know. So there's plenty out there. It's 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 not like I'm I'm trying to find a needle in a haystack, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose this is the reason why I do these podcasts because what you're doing is making your technology um, or anyone that's listening to it, you're making your technology aware that it's in the industry and can be used. Um, yeah. And I suppose this is an educational platform. So anyone that's listening to this um, that may, may be in a, a, a startup, startup phase or going through construction and may, may then pass this message on, maybe they, they obviously they might not be able to pre pre-think that there's going to be issues in the future, but say, hey, look, just listen to this because this could save us a lot of time, money in the future. Yeah, so it's just, make, it's just making people aware of what is out there and not always doing everything the same that that obviously the industry seems to have seems to go through all the time, no matter whether it's processing could be mining methods, sure, could be recruitment, sure. it could be anything sure, um, sure, that we tend sure. to always do the same. But yeah, no, it's it's like I said, it's educational. So what you're highlighting is um, should be made aware to people within the industry, and whether they take that up themselves, that's that's entirely up to them. Yeah, 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 absolutely, Rob. Uh, so. Uh, you know, we're small and we're probably still relatively unknown, but, uh, you know, the word of mouth machine works for us. And But we are trying to emerge from that. You know, post-COVID, we're uh, we're trying to get a high profile on LinkedIn. We've, we re-engineered our website last year, and I think it's a lot more uh, effective. It's clearer. It's targeted. It's focused. And uh, uh, But if anyone's out there and uh, just want to know more about what we do, please give us a call and drop us a note. Happy to have a chat to you and have a general discussion around how we can help you and, and work together. Yeah. Um, and are there any HSC and ESG benefits to what you do? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, from the health, safety, environment thing, I, I'd mentioned before about this less maintenance interventions, that's becoming a huge deal. Uh Plan maintenance and less maintenance interventions and better and really good planning um, is still the huge challenge out there. So uh, getting the maintenance intervals to be longer, now that's where we kick in because we can do that. We can work with you to extend maintenance intervals. And it's not just by, you know, 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%. That works in crushes, but it doesn't work for shoots. So you have to work in multiples of the shutdown interval. So whether it's a, a 10-week, 11-week, 12-week, 13-week interval, it's no good increasing it by 10 or 20%. It's just wasted money. So what you've got to do is effectively double it, triple it, quadruple it. Now, that's the challenge. And if you do, what happens is this. You don't now have people opening it up and having a look at it. They still want to. They don't trust you. They want to get in there and have a stick their head in type of deal, and I get that. But so that's where the the monitoring systems come in. So the I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, but it really this is 
about making the stuff far work last for far longer and be far more reliable and be monitorable, accurately monitorable, so you know sitting in your control room, whether that be on the mine site or back in a, a regional centre or even a city somewhere, that you know that what the condition of that chute or that crusher is accurately. And we are right in that space. Um, so there, then there's all the spin-off of the less wastage, the less labour costs, the, um, you know, more predictable, stable operation, the whole, whole thing comes into it. And that's the name of the mining games, predictable, stable operation um, with less people. Yeah. You know. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I know you're in the people business, but the uh, <laughs> hey, you know, uh, the only good news for you is there's people are still very hard to find. So um, they certainly are, and and the thing is, even with all the technology that will that will come into the industry, you still will need people. Um, it's just obviously certain absolutely. jobs will will change. So yes, um, yes, yes. it's like any business. There, there's always going to be people that are needed. Um, whether whether whatever automation does come into the system, come into the industry, they will always need people to either um, um, use that use that automation, fix that automation, change that automation, and improve it. Um, so yeah, you, you're always going to need people. So look, I'm very happy to see that the industry is moving away from mind numbing jobs like driving all trucks on 12-hour shifts, um, you know, year in, year out, on day shift, night shift, you know, on fly-in, fly-out. You know, that's that's very poor quality work. It's poor quality of life. Uh, you know, I did fly-in, fly-out for, for a decade and, you know, I know the effect it had on me and my family alone. So the I think that's all great stuff. So what I could say to any of the younger graduates out there or even the apprentices is that there's huge opportunities in the technology space. Uh, there's huge opportunities everywhere in there to do this business differently and um, uh, and be challenged and be engaged and and have a career satisfaction and, and uh, all the things that go with that. So uh, I think that's the best, the best thing I've seen. Um, yeah. yeah, and I was going to That's say that that, was, yeah. that would have been a good summary. Uh, I've got one more <laughs> question. Got one more question to ask you. Okay, okay. Um, obviously, what's the what's the outlook for your R and D pipeline for, for the company? Well, that's a good question too. Um, look, small companies like us, you know, we spend far more on R&D as a percentage of our revenue than probably anybody I know. You know, it may not be in total dollar value what others spend, but it's a huge amount in percentage terms. But that's, I know, what we have to do. So literally, without, you know, almost on a daily basis, we have something pops up that says, can we do this better or this needs to be fixed or this needs to be changed or we need to develop something for this complement that to stock you know we, we it's there it's all there every day in front of us so the challenge we have then is filtering that out and then saying what are we going to do of all these projects 
and how are we going to do it? And then who's going to do it? And what's the budget? You know, it, it then becomes a real project management thing. So, um, and part of that selection is how much value can we add? Uh, you know, making something work a little bit better is not good enough normally. It, it's got to be a, a step change in performance or some significant, observable, compelling reason to do it um, that's that's obvious to the customer. It's no good if you have to spend, you know, you know, give a hundred uh, slide PowerPoint presentation to explain the concept. If you can't get it across in a couple of slides, it's not going to happen. So there's all challenges in that. The 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 but the challenge, the space that we're in now, um, is very much one of uh, technology in the terms of. Uh, well, we're always working with material science, and there's still a huge upside in that in where material science. I I, can, I can't imagine. I'm surprised at how much there still is. I mean, if you'd asked me back when I was working for mining companies, you know, how much upside's in that, I would have said probably none. But now I realise the huge upside there just is in materials. Um, uh, tungstens, titanium, ceramics—they're all. It's all out there, right? Niobiums. Um, there, there, there's things that you can do that no one ever thought of before. So that's one thing. The the technology in terms of electronics, um, uh, whether it be wear monitoring systems uh, and the design of those, but particularly in robotics. Um, look, there's now you know a range of robots, uh, tractor tractorized robots you can buy off the shelf. They've got articulated arms on them. Uh, but they in themselves are not enough. You need, if you're going to create, say, a zero manual handling system for, let's say, skirting liners on conveyors, you have to get the skirting liners can be placed near the conveyor by a forklift. It's then how do they go from the ground to the conveyor uh, walkway typically, then from the walkway to the conveyor belt where the robot will pick them up and then the robot takes them in under the discharge chute and removes the previous liner and replaces that liner and then it comes out with a worn liner and then how is that liner then removed uh, back down and placed back in a, in, in a box on the ground. So there's a series of challenges that go with that and we have sketched that out and believe that we have workable solutions for it. So that's next year. The other the other one that we've got, which I put up, I started pre-COVID and went on to the back burner as we did these wear monitoring solutions was uh, advanced lubrication for crushes, um, uh, particularly crushes, uh, gyratories and cones that have very large bush, bronze bushes, very high surface area contact and a result, very high friction, and the bushes don't last and they burn, they're replaced. And for example, a large uh, uh, 750 kilowatt cone crusher consumes nearly 400 kilowatts just idling. So you've only got about 300 to 350 kilowatts available to crush. Well, that's fairly inefficient use of energy, of, of machine. So if you're gonna, if you want to spin that, you know, if you you want to spin it from a green point of view, and you you say, well, that's that's sort of unacceptable. 
you know. So what can you do about it? Well, other than re completely redesigning it, which is not going to happen anytime soon, um, we need to reduce the friction inside the crusher. There are better lubricants that we can use, and we've identified that. We've been testing some of those. And so we will come out uh, with advanced lubrication solutions for crushes, which can be easily retrofitted to, to, to all crushes that are out there. And we will have a significant impact in the reduction of carbon as a result of it. We'll have a reduction in the consumption of bushes. We'll have an increase in performance of the machine in terms of its crushing power, available crushing power. So, but I've got a few other fish to fry before we get onto that one again, because all this has to be tested in the field. And that's the, that's the part that, uh, you know, the guys that develop this technology, when they develop it, they consider their jobs done. When I keep reminding them, it's only just started. We've now got to take it into the field. We've got to go from alpha testing to beta testing. And then we, then we finally get to, to ready to have case studies we can launch to the general public. And so those people out there that love trying new technology, give me a call, okay? We're keen to work with you. So, um, so Rob, if you can help us with that too, uh, be wonderful. I will do my best. And obviously we've okay. got a wide range of uh, audience here. So Ian, really appreciate your time in um, telling us about Macquarie technology and what you do and how you can help mining companies with their uh, processing facilities. Um, as you mentioned, you're more than happy for our audience to reach out to you. So what sure. platforms What platforms are you on? We, we can include these all in our show, show notes. So what social media platforms are you on? Well, look, we do have a limited space. I've, read, I've, I've kept away from the Twitters and the Facebooks intentionally. I think they are really not particularly suitable to us. I think LinkedIn is the great business forum, and uh, we regularly post on that. And please engage us via LinkedIn and the LinkedIn Messenger as well. Um, uh, to me or to our company, I'm very happy to talk to people directly via, through LinkedIn um, but of course, there's our website, and there's you know a contact us page on the website, and there's phone numbers there, I think, as well for our different offices that we have. But look, it, it doesn't really matter. We we respond pretty rapidly to anybody, so uh, um, whichever you know format suits you, um, give us a call. Uh, you know, and I say, drop us a line, drop us a note, drop us a uh, something, and uh, uh, tell us. Uh, what your problem is and we'd love to have a chat to you yep well you heard it there guys really uh um, appreciate appreciate uh ian's uh, input there and obviously explaining uh his technology so um hope you enjoyed that episode please share this amongst other people within the mining industry um so everyone understands that there is different ways in which your in which you can obviously process process uh, material um, and not always having to do it the same way over and over again. So really appreciate your continued support. Um, like I said, please keep sharing this episode to everyone around the world that you know um, to get this message across. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, Happy Mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.